You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we do it. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249, or you can always email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So many things happening this week. Such an exciting week. Such an exciting show. So much stuff. Let's uh, give you a little overview and see what we uh, what we actually have time for. First of all, my son's Eifruf is this weekend. What's an Eifruf, you ask? An excellent question. But I'll give you a hint because he's getting married uh, next week. On Thursday, right during the show, how inconvenient... Um, we also, uh, I have a son in North Miami Beach, as you know, and he's uh, getting ready for his next hurricane. And hopefully the hurricane will be finished so he can make his way up to the wedding. Otherwise, he's already rented a car in case he has to drive. Um, we ourselves, with all the children, grandchildren hanging around the house, so uh, someone decided to not cut down a tree, so the tree fell down itself and knocked out a power line. So I was told we just got our power back. We lost it last night, but we had all these little cutesy lanterns um, with batteries from the last time we lost power, which is pretty much standard once, uh, once a month. We also have an amazing guest coming on after the first segment. Her name is Lisa Zarcone. She is the author of the un- Spoken Truth, um, a story of survival, really. All kinds of abuse that she went through. She writes through a child's uh, eyes. Um, you want to listen to what she has to say and how we should recognize when there's child abuse, what we can do to help people, how people can help themselves. All kinds of really, really good stuff coming up after the first break, so you don't want to miss that. And, uh, of course, we'll be joined by Jonas and Goldson after at the end of our show. And that's all exciting, but let's see what we can get into today to talk about things happening in my life and other people's life. So I told you, this week is my son's Eif Ruf. I have no idea what that word means. I don't even know what language it's in. Probably Yiddish. Um, I'm sure someone will call me and comment exactly what, what that word is. But in any case, what it means really is the, the last week that a groom, or the Hebrew word is a chassin, is home, he gets called up to the Torah in his congregation, in his synagogue. Um, usually he gets called up for the last Torah portion, doesn't have to be. And after he makes his blessing, he gets pelted with bags of candy. Why candy? Really, it should be probably nuts like almonds and raisins. Uh, the person who runs this um, congregation, he says, do me a favor, no raisins. He says, the kids don't eat the raisins. They dump out the bags. They take the candy. They leave the raisins all over the floor. He says, impossible to clean up. I said, no problem. No raisins. But it's an old custom. So he felt bad. So he says to me, here's the deal. You can put one raisin in one bag. 
So you fulfilled that custom of throwing raisins, but no more raisins. So one of the bags um, has a raisin in it. My wife thinks it's in my pocket. It's not in my pocket. It's in the bag with the rest of them. Somebody will have one raisin in their bag. No prize for finding that raisin that I can tell you right now. So it's a, it is a party. It's, a, it's last week home till you get married. So, uh, so my marrieds, except the one in North Miami Beach, all the married kids came in. Um, grandchildren are running around the house. It was a little hard yesterday with no electric. But now the electric's back. It shouldn't be so bad. So they're running around, and, and we're forever going back and forth to the grocery store. You gotta buy chicken, gotta buy hot dogs, gotta buy buns, gotta buy cereals, gotta buy milk. You know, they eat, which is good. So you, you forget how many people you're feeding. So where it's like a constant train um, going back and forth. Just about everybody's back from camp already. Camps are on the wind down. I know in my neighborhood, some public schools have started already. Um, my last tour on the way driving back home. Um, again, finishing up camp and stuff like that. So it's all an exciting time. We'll have a nice, chilled, as they say, weekend with my son. We'll talk. We'll bother. We'll chepper. We'll see how much he can handle. Once he can't handle it, he'll say, okay, you guys stop bothering, and then we'll just move on with life. And next week, we'll all head towards New Jersey for the wedding. Can't wait. It's going to be exciting. going to be fun. Um, if you're in the neighborhood, please come. My pleasure. You'll call me if you don't know the location. In any case, um, that's the if we're getting ready for. We'll see if we have extra time if we want to get into what happens by an Orthodox Jewish wedding. People always ask me, is it a large wedding? I say, what do you call large? So most people say to me, oh, 200 people is a lot of people. I said, if 200 people is a lot of people, this is going to be a really large wedding. It's actually beautiful. Um, in, in this area in Lakewood, they do, it, they do it right. Family will sit, family will eat, family will be there the whole evening. But everybody who lives in the neighborhood or five miles out of the neighborhood, they drop in, they drop out, they dance for a few minutes, they do sit down to eat, they don't sit down to eat. It's very good. So you get a large crowd coming in, going, coming, but you're, you're not holding anybody hostage for three or four hours. So it's all really very beautiful. But again, later we'll see if we have time. I want to get into the Torah portion a little bit. We'll see if we get into some of the nuances and some of the interesting customs that actually take place by a Jewish wedding, if I don't have time this week. Um, so next week we're going to do a rebroadcast because uh, the wedding's on Thursday. Can't really be here. Uh, but the following week, maybe we'll get into some of the nitty-gritties of some of the wonderful, meaningful, beautiful customs that take place at a Jewish wedding. So we'll do that in a couple weeks. So this week's Torah portion talks, uh, gets us ready for really in a couple weeks where we talk about blessings and curses. The Torah portion starts out. Um, I'm, I'm placing before you, God says, blessing and curse. And throughout the Torah portion, God keeps reminding you, make sure you choose blessing. Don't choose curse. Now that sounds strange. I mean, don't choose curse. Who would choose to be cursed. Why would somebody choose that? So it almost reminds me of what happens in my classroom. And maybe as parents, I watch uh, parents also do this. We all make choices. Children make choices. When you make a choice, there's a consequence. As adults, when we make certain choices, there are consequences. Obviously, there's very bad choices. Somebody, God forbid, wants to drink and then drive and gets pulled over. Forget about an accident, God forbid. 
you made a choice, right? You chose to drink. Well, there's consequences for being caught, very big consequences. Hopefully they teach a person or people not to drink and drive at all. That would really be the, the best. But students in, in school do the same thing, right? Now, if you choose to not do your work, there's going to have to be a consequence. It's not a punishment. You, you, you just, you, you uh, the table's in front of you. you. You do your worksheets. Okay, no problem. You don't do your worksheet. You can do it at home. You can do it by recess. You're going to, you took your work time and you didn't do your work. You're going to have to do your work during playtime. It's very simple. It's a, just a simple consequence. And that's really the same concept when we talk about a blessing. Choose to be blessed. Don't choose to be cursed. Now, it's, you have two ways of living or anywhere in between. You're going to listen to God. So you're choosing one set of consequences. You're choosing not to listen to God. You're choosing a whole other set of consequences. It, you're not choosing. I mean, you are choosing. You're choosing to be either blessed or you're choosing to be cursed. That's your choice. So God is over and over warning you. Again, like a, like a teacher warns the students. You know, I'm begging you, do your work now. Otherwise, you're going to be upset later. You're going to have to do it. And you're not going to be happy. And you're going to complain. You'll be in a bad mood. Make sure you make the right choice because every choice we makes, we make comes with a consequence, whether it be good or, unfortunately, something we're not so happy with. So that's the beginning of this week's Torah portion. That God says, please choose blessing. Don't choose to be cursed. And we have later Torah portions that start talking about what those blessings actually are, what those curses actually are. That's for another week. Um, so many things happen in the Torah portion. Okay, I'm gonna. Let's. I should have time to get through this next one. So very interesting. Um, the and this was we had a guest. Probably a couple months ago, we talked about altars and sacrificing and private altars and public altars and the temple and the and the altar in the temple. We we touched on some of that stuff. So what's interesting was there were definitely periods in our history where it was normal that you would have a private altar in your backyard. You want to bring a sacrifice to God? I mean, certainly the idol worshippers all had their private um, altars. or They would have public ones. But it was a very normal way of life to have a private altar. Very normal. However, there were some, there were, as time went on, as in the desert, it seems they did not have private altars. They just had the tabernacle. Then they go into the land of Israel and they could have private altars. Then there was going to be a period of time where the tabernacle was moved to a place called Shiloh. And again, it would seem for the most part, private altars were more than frowned upon, were off limits. Then the, the, that tabernacle was destroyed. Again, you had a period where you could have a private altar. Then, then there was a time with what's called Nov and, and Givon. And, and then finally, you get to the temple itself, first temple, second temple. Once those are built, no more private altars. So again, the private altar was, was used if you wanted to bring a private sacrifice. You couldn't bring every sacrifice you wanted. You could bring like donation, like I just want to burn a sacrifice to God, so I'll take this cow, sheep, and sacrifice it. Those sacrifices we've told about in the past, uh, sin offerings and other stuff, those are really off limits on a private altar. Okay, fine. So why do I bring this down? So there's clear rules and regulations when you can have a private altar. And when you cannot have a private altar. Now I'm going to tell you another law in this week's story portion, and then we're going to put some things together so we have the whole story. 
So there's a very interesting set of laws about a false prophet. Somebody comes along, he claims God told him whatever God told him, and God wanted him to give a certain message. Maybe God wants the Jewish people to do something. And you could have a real prophet and a false prophet. The problem is, how are you supposed to know if a prophet is real or if a prophet is, uh, is plain, is a, is a shyster? How are you supposed to know? So certainly one of the rules are it has to be somebody we know. We know who he is, what he is. He's a spiritual person. He's a holy person. Seems to be the right kind of person. But even that's not really always enough. What happens is, a, for us to trust a prophet many times, we need a sign. We need a miracle. It's going to rain. It's not going to rain. Something that a regular person wouldn't know. And he's going to say, God's going to do this. If God does what he says, pretty much you can know that he is going to be a prophet. You can trust him. So now the Torah comes along and says something fascinating. What if, what if this guy comes along and he does miracles and he claims he's a prophet? And then he says, you know, some of those laws that God talked about, you don't got to do them no more. Or, you know, God said there's 613 commandments. He told me to add another six. He likes the number 619 better. So, uh, what do you do? So, the, the Torah says very clearly, if the prophet is coming to change the Torah, he's false. Doesn't matter what miracle he did. The easiest example is, the prophet says to do some type of idol worship. If the prophet says to do some type of idol worship, I don't care if he made the sun stand in the middle of the sky for two weeks. He made, I don't know, he made the oceans recede and the, who knows, he made new trees with new fruit, doesn't matter. If he, the, the, the story says clearly, if the prophet goes ahead and says, God wants you to serve this idol in this way. And here's a miracle to show you that's what God wants. The Torah says straight out, he is a false prophet. Kill him immediately. Bring him to court. He's a false prophet. And as the Torah is telling you, anybody who's going to come along later, and he's going to be able to do a miracle, and he tells you to do a sin, he is a false prophet. End of story. That comes with a death penalty. However, that's not 100% always the rule. The basic gist is that if he wants to permanently change a rule, then he's a false prophet. However, if the prophet is telling you to, for a one-time deal, God's making an exception for one time, then we listen to the prophet, if we know he's a trusted prophet, or... Or, uh, or if he did miracles, we'll listen to him. Again, if it was for a one-time deal. So there's a few times in history where that actually took place. One is with the famous Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet himself um, changed this rule of a private altar. When did that happen? So what happened was that Elijah, as his job was was uh, would go to the kings and go to others and say they're sinning and this and that. So he's, he's sitting with the king and some other important people, and somebody in the group made fun of Elijah and said, come on, what's going on? Um, what happened was the city of Jericho wasn't supposed to be rebuilt. 
And Joshua said, anybody who rebuilds the city of Jericho, so when he starts building, his oldest will die. When he finishes, the youngest will die. So they were, he went to be, as we say, Menachem to comfort this important person who rebuilt the city of Jericho, and all his kids died. So while they're sitting there, and again, the king is there, this was an important person. So they're saying to Elijah, they're saying, come on, Joshua's curse has come true. And Moses curses about people who do idol worship don't come true. So Elijah says, You're, you'll see what's going to come true. No more rain. So it did not l- rain in the land of Israel for three years. There was no water. There was starvation. Um, this King Ahab was searching the world for Elijah. And, and after three years, God tells Elijah, you got to go back to the king. You're going to make it rain again. So, so Elijah goes back. He's, uh, he's found. Um, he runs into the King Ahab, and he says, and this King Ahab says to him, he says, uh, he says, you know, you are destroying the Jewish people and destroying the land. And Elijah says, not me. You guys are the sinners, not me. But I tell you what we're going to do. We are going to once and for all prove what God wants. So there were 400 priests. Oh, man, we're not going to get into it. Okay, my music is playing. That means it's time to get ready for the break. When we come back, we will be joined by Lisa Zarkone, author of The Unspoken Truth. You do not want to miss her story. Hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. (laughs) Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. (laughs) I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. (laughs) I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. And we're back. 
And we do not have time right now to finish what we were discussing before, because we are joined by Lisa Zarcone, author of The Unspoken Truth, Regional Director for the New England Area, NAASCA, it stands for, NAS Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, speaker, author, advocate, blogger. Lisa, how are you today? I am doing great, Rabbi. How are you? <laughs> doing wonderful. You sound loud and clear. Did you actually stop on the side of the road for our interview? Actually, I made it home in time just so I can get here to do this in the house so I didn't have to pull over. <laughs> oh, much better, yeah, because you're loud and clear. I figured we'd be hearing trucks, you know, flying by and stuff. So <laughs> That could have been a possibility. <laughs> could have been. Yeah, I know. I was just on the road myself back and forth to New Jersey. Anyways, before we even get a started. Long ride. <laughs> yes, it's a Yes. It should be about 10 and a half hours. It was 12 because my ways neglected to tell me I was going the wrong way for about an hour. It did tell me eventually. But, uh, yeah, it was fine. It was all good. All good. So, before we even get started, who is Lisa Zarcone? Lisa Zarcone. Well, first of all, Lisa Zarcone is a a wife, a mother, and a grandmother. So That's the best answer, by the way. That is for sure the best answer. Yes, that's very important. But Lisa is an author a public speaker, a child and mental health advocate, blogger. I mean, you put it all out there. You were great about just announcing it. It sounded wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) The more interviews you go on, the more people tell you, you find out how special you are. It's really quite fun. Um, Okay, so we're going to talk about your book. Um, You wrote a book. This is a very, this again, the title of the book is The Unspoken Truth by Lisa Zarcone. This is a powerful, raw Book I read it did not take me long to read, but um, but really a powerful book uh, about Lisa's personal um, abuse growing up as a child. That's there's just no other way to sugarcoat it. This is not a sugarcoated book. This is this is real. Um, so before we even get started, Lisa, why did you write this book? I you know I wrote this book because I wanted to bring awareness to what happens behind closed doors. What happens to far too many children out there that live silently with abuse and they, they have no voice? So the purpose of my book was to give children a voice because my book is written from the child's perspective of abuse and what is happening. So it really just shows the readers that this is what the child is thinking in those moments of trauma and abuse. So now that we, so someone who's going to read the book or listen to us and know the suffering that a child goes through, um, how will that give other children a voice? Well, that will give other children a voice because it brings awareness to this strong subject. When you talk about a child suffering, a child, you know, living silently with all of these things happening to them, reading my story, which, like you said, is very raw, and I tell people all the time it's raw. It's a raw read, but it gives you a real look at what happens, and it's giving, you know, it's bringing awareness, and it's giving that child a voice because now the reality sets in when you read those words. In other words, you want people, you know, it's so interesting. Um, one of the uh, one of the managers here was walking by. He always asks me who my guests are, and I was telling him, and, and y- you could see from his expression, he had a hard time really believing. He believes it, but doesn't really believe um, the abuse that's possible out there. 
So I think the first thing you're trying to tell people is abuse is real. After you know it's real, then we can deal with it, I hope. Yes. I mean, and it is real. And, and many people still, you know, want to put the blinders on because it's such a hard subject to talk about. And I also find that people who have been through abuse themselves, when they hear these subjects and you start talking about it, they do shut down a little bit because it is really hard to look at. I think one of the things that, that and I know you, you, you work with adults that have gone through abuse, you have all the, unfortunately, um, and we always like to be transparent. I want everyone to know, um, Lisa herself is Catholic. Obviously, I'm Jewish. Um, we're talking about abuse. Um, abuse has nothing to do with what religion you are, not religious. It's all, unfortunately, all walks of life, all kinds of children and people are suffering. And the more we bring awareness out, um, the more we have a chance that people will actually pay attention to what's going on out there. Did I get that right? Yeah. You did get that right, and absolutely. You know, it's not a. It doesn't go down to religion, like you said. You're you're Jewish. I'm Catholic. It, it doesn't matter what the religion is. It, it the the true story is a child is innocent and a child is being harmed, and this needs to be talked about. And it's happening all over the world, not just here in the United States. It's happening everywhere, and we and we need to work towards solving this big problem. Okay, so how we before we before we save the world. And, uh, and and help everybody, you know. One thing I, I told a few people before, you know, we were talking about what what my what my goal is today. Um, one of my goals, and I think you can you'll speak to it better. And I don't remember how you got into it into the book, or if it sort of got glassed over. Um, well, I'll back up. A few weeks ago, we actually had what's called Safe Talk, which is basically suicide prevention. There, they had a lot of teachers there. They wanted us to be aware. And one of the things that seems to happen, you see somebody on a park bench, you see a friend, you see a neighbor, and they look a little depressed, and you ask them, how is everything? And they say, fine, or okay. And you know they're not being honest, but you're so happy that they said fine that you can end the conversation and move along. Um, it, it is one of the things you're trying to bring out in your book that when the child says everything is fine, you're not supposed to just keep walking, but you're supposed to stop and say everything is not fine? That's interesting. It's an interesting point. And yes, because children will give you signs in many different ways. They could say they're fine, but then look into their eyes and you'll see a different story. You know, and, and another reason, like we said, writing this story is about bringing awareness. And yes, people need to ask the questions and be more aware of what's happening around them. You can see when a child's struggling and they will act out in different ways or they will become completely silent and sullen. And I did a lot of that. But if you looked into my eyes, you, you would know something was going on. So the signs are there. So do you blame... I don't know if blame is the right word. Do you blame, you talk about some of the counselors um, that you had in school. Do you blame some of those counselors for not, like, really getting who you were and just, like, brushing them under the carpet? Well, blame, I wouldn't put blame. I think what I put onto that, first of all, is lack of knowledge, lack of education, sign of the times. I grew up in the 70s. Everything was quiet. Nobody... Nobody stepped into other people's business. It was always about protocol, which is a huge word that I use all the time, because protocol is a big problem when it comes to others stepping up to help children that are in trouble and in, that are in need. But I don't 
blame, but I feel like we need to bring more education all around to to bring this story more to the light, bring child abuse to the light. Well, and, and if we bring it more to the light, then people won't just move along after the child says, okay, they'll actually continue, you know, keep talking to the child to find out what's really going on? I would hope so. I would hope that people would, would, you know, when you take the blinders off, and I think that's what it is, too. When we talk about it, we put it out there. You know, and it actually, in a sense, it kind of, I hate to use the word force, but it forces people to really look at it. You know, it's like, again, it's a hard topic to look at. Child abuse, sexual abuse, all that is very difficult. But the reality is it's happening, and as adults, it is our responsibility, and it should be our in our good faith to want to help and want to save that child. Yeah, I think it is our responsibility. You know, many people walk around. I talk about this with my students, with my friends all the time. Like, we're, we're responsible. We don't get to live in our own little bubble and uh, ignore the rest of the world. And really what people say, it's none of my business. It has nothing to do with me. It's none of my business. Really, this this should be our business. Someone has to protect these children. Someone does have to protect these children. And, you know, how, how many times people have said to me now as an adult, oh, it happened in the past, get over it. You, you know, first of all, you don't just get over it. And then you look at the bigger picture. Yes, it happened in the past. So let's take that knowledge from the past and bring it forward to try to educate other people so maybe we can save a child, save many children. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I actually wrote myself a note. <laughs> you said it first. Um, people say, get over it all the time. They see someone who suffered, they found out, they were abused, a child is this. And many people are want to say, eh, get over it. What's the big deal? You know, is that fair? No, I do not believe that's fair. I mean, because you throw that, that term out there, get over it. And I really believe a lot of times people will put that out there because it, it takes the... What do I want to say? It takes responsibility off of them to, like, reach out and help. You know, my mom suffered tremendously with mental illness, and a lot of my abuse stemmed from that because she wasn't getting the proper care. But I also remember people saying to her, get over it. How do you get over mental illness when you're struggling? Right. You, 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 you can't get over the mental. Obviously, that's something that was not in her. She did not have the ability to get over it. She, she needed what, the medicine. She needed people to take care of her for whatever reasons. Uh, she was not being taken care of. That's uh, part of the book, part of the story. Right. But the other thing, too, is when you look at that, it's also support. So just like my mother needed support that she didn't get, children need support. When children are struggling, acting out, or having issues, they need support. You need to get to the root of the problem. And so who are the best people to support? And as, if the, as in your case, the, your home situation was not one that was going to give you support. So who should no. these children get support from? Well, as a child, I, you know, it's, it's sad to say this, but I waited for a very long time to be saved, to be rescued, to be rescued by my family, to be rescued by maybe my teachers or my neighbors. At, the, at one point, it was just to be rescued by anybody, anybody who would take notice. But I do believe children, and the more we educate others, then children are reaching out. We can do this through schools, through doctor's offices, through you know, youth groups, all different ways through the churches. You know, there's different ways that we can support and help children. You know, that's really that point that you brought out, that uh, that you yourself were waiting to be saved. 
and I have music playing in the background. Lisa, I have to take a quick break. Can you please hold through the break for us? Absolutely. Great. So, you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi. I'm joined by Lisa Zarcon, author of The Unspoken Truth. Please hold through the break, and we'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's <laughs> getting umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. count? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. And we're back. And Lisa, are you still there? I am still here waiting on you. Oh, good. Thank you so much. So you're listening to Lisa Zarcon, author of The Unspoken Truth. And we're talking about child abuse. And really, right now, our main goal is to is the is the point of Lisa's book is to create awareness. People need to know there's such a thing as child abuse. People need to know that when the family can't step in, there's other people out there that can step in. There are schools, there are counselors, there are synagogues, there are churches. There, there's ways where you can help this child, and it really becomes our responsibility. And what's interesting, we 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 left off with Lisa, is you said as a child. You were waiting to be saved. And again, yes, I, I was. And it suddenly came up in our safe talk that people who are contemplating suicide um, will tell you this, you probably know, I know you're, you're involved in counseling. They will tell you, yeah, numerous times I told people I wanted to be saved. I told people I was contemplating suicide. They never said they were contemplating suicide, but they did give lots of signs and uh, to tell people help. And either you're going to just ask the next question, how can I help you, or you're going to go on your merry way, which hopefully people won't do. Right. And, and, you know, there are many signs that people do give. And even back in, you know, when I was a young girl, I, I thought of committing suicide, and I did try at one point. And I was giving all the signs 
to many people and they were ignored. And, you know, I'm grateful today that I'm here and that didn't happen. But I have hit such a low point in my life that that's where I was. And it's sad to think that so many people out there, young and old, feel that way, that they hit that point where there's nothing left. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I actually, if I remember the book correctly, it was your mother that, that saved you? Believe it or not, and my mother was the one who showed up. I mean, I could tell you briefly, I was standing on Please. the top of a waterfall. I was planning on jumping and hitting the rocks and ending it all because I just couldn't take the abuse anymore. And my mother shows up and is screaming at me to get down. And in my mind, I, it, it really... It was really confusing to me because my mother was so distant and so vacant and gone from my life, even though we were living together. And here it was, this moment of clarity that she comes in and tells me, get down, knock it off. You need to come home. And and then the hard part was bringing me home and then never talking about it. It was never brought up again. So I was left with all those feelings, those, you know, Nothing was settled. Nothing was worked through. It was just sitting there heavy. So so what did you... you know, some people, unfortunately, cannot cope. They don't know how to deal with it. They cannot protect themselves. But you, you survived. Um, and you had a great blog this week, which I read, which, again, if somebody wants to go onto her LinkedIn account, it's probably on your Facebook page. Uh, Lisa has a, a, a wonderful blog with her story. And you have your catchphrases there that I think helped you and could help others survive. What are your catchphrases? Yes. My catchphrases, and these did help me survive. I, I Two things that I told myself, I am worth it and I deserve better. I remember staring in the mirror that day and looking at myself and I was lost and I just knew that something had to change and I started telling myself those words and I started writing them down. I journaled them probably a hundred thousand times over. I just kept writing it and writing it, reading it back to myself, willing myself to stay strong and those two catchphrases did help me overcome a lot. Yeah, they're both, and I'm sure there's a lot of... uh psychological reasons, writing down, talking to yourself, all these things are all true, all important. But, um, but yeah, one is you are worth it. You may not know why, but first you got to convince yourself you are worth it and then figure out, we'll figure out why later, but you are worth it. And that this, the second line is even better, is you, in your case, I, you deserve better. So Yes, and, and mindset. I think it's, it's willing your mind, strong mindset. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 amazing that, that you could go through all the abuse and still be able to tell yourself, because this is what, what the counselors, the psychologists are supposed to be telling you, that, uh, but you figured it out on your own. Do you know how you came up with this idea that you deserve better, or it just came? Well, I could tell you this, that this, this episode, what happened with me, the life-changing part came after a really horrific um, episode of abuse. I was attacked, and it was horrific, and it was devastating. But after that, it left me angry, and it left me to the point where I've had enough. And I felt and looked at myself and said, I need better. I need something different. And I always had a deep sense of faith. Faith was always big for me. Even at a young age, I just I always called myself the old soul because I always thought on, on, on a a level, a deep level, but it's it's like it did come to me. It was like, this is it. It's time to change. 
and I fought for it. I fought really hard for it. And you won, which is even better. How old? How old were you when 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 that took place? I was about thirteen and a half. About fourteen. I'm going to say fourteen. Say fourteen years old. I was young, and I had already been through a tremendous amount of mental abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. You know, sexual abuse came into play by a different abuser, not my mother. But all that just hit, you know, hit a, a boiling point. And after that last act of abuse, I was just done. I was, I needed change. Amazing. And writing the book was part of the therapy? Absolutely. Writing the book was part of the therapy. It took me six and a half years from start to finish. I did have to stop in between. I, I did have to tap into those old, dark, deep memories. To write from the child's perspective was very hard to do. So I, I had to take it in stages. But on the upswing of taking it in stages, I healed along the way. I was able to process all these things that happened to me and put them to rest. So it, it was it was a wonderful experience all the way around, even though it was extremely hard experience. I mean, for anybody, the, the healing journey is hard, and it was difficult. But boy, what what an amazing gift in the end. I mean, I, as raw as my story is to read, it really is helping a lot of people, and that is the goal. Oh, amazing. And I know you talked about this at the beginning of the book, and I don't know if you could do this for everyone. Um, it was part of your healing process, the ability to forgive? Yes. The, the ability to forgive, that's a hard one. That's a, and everyone knows that, you know, the forgiving is, is a personal thing that, that you go through, and everyone does it differently. And some people don't always get there for whatever reasons. I chose to forgive because the bottom line for me and my story is I did love my parents, and I did want them in my life. And I took their, their um, thought process and their perspective and put myself there and thought and thought and saw through their eyes and that is how I came to a point of healing because I was able to understand what they were going through. That is truly amazing because there's a lot of people out there um, that a nitty-gritty stuff can't forgive somebody and uh, and you could stand and forgive uh, you know if I call them atrocities it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be a bad word. No, no, it, it it makes sense. I call what happened to us hideous, and I use very deep words because it is. It was a really awful time in my life. But now at, at, that you are a survivor, um, you're able to help others. What do you do? What do I do? I do many things. Uh, you know, as being an advocate for child abuse and, and mental health, I do a lot of speaking engagements. I do a lot of workshops. And I reach out to community. I reach out, you know, not only face-to-face, but through my Facebook inspirational page. People come to my page daily, not only for um, inspiration, but for advice and for sharing. And that is a wonderful way to get people to open up and to talk. And then also with my work through NASCA, I'm the Massachusetts National Ambassador for NASCA. And, you know, we have many wonderful outlets on our website. And I always say go to NASCA.org, check us out. We have a radio show six nights a week. And we talk to adult survivors. We talk to people who struggle with illness. And it's a wonderful show, and it's another way of supporting people. So I put myself into all different positions of 
helping, supporting, and also bringing awareness. And and I every single day I'm out there, I'm doing whatever I can to help as many people as possible. So are you like a counselor, a therapist? I, you know, I call myself a life therapist because, you know, I don't sit in an, I, I do not technically sit in an office and, you know, treat people in that way because I'm not a licensed therapist. I, I feel more like I'm a spiritual worker in a sense because I do this from the heart. I do this from experience and I will help people any way I possibly can. People reach out to me all the time privately. You know, they, they'll get my information from NASCA or they'll get my information on my website, which is lisazarcone.net. And, we'll, and they'll write and they'll share with me what's happening and I'll support them the best way I can. I will find, you know, if there's there's other places I can find for them to reach out to to help them wherever they are. I, you know, I will do whatever I can. So basically I am just out here. I'm supporting. I'm advocating. And I call myself an inspirationalist because I do that. This is what I do daily. I try to inspire as much as possible. Yeah, it's a good word to inspire. Um, when we talked, uh, what well, was four weeks ago, six weeks ago, whatever it was, um, you actually told me that you were you were you're working with a group of girls who had a therapist, but they connected with you instead of the therapist. Yes, uh, that's an interesting story. I did. I worked with I worked with teen girls in a lockdown facility. I did that work for about seven years, and the girls would connect with me. And the therapist pulls me aside and says to me, "Why are these women, young girls, connecting with you and not me?" And I thought about that for a period of time, and I said, "Well, because I'm being real, and I'm understanding their life experience because I've lived it." And then I went on to ask the therapist. Well, how did you grow up? And not to be like demeaning in any way, because she grew up in a great environment. She had loving family. And, you know, awesome for her for that, because that's a gift for any child to grow up in that environment. But what I said to her is that you have to think from their, their level. You have to think from their standpoint. When you can take yourself and, and look through someone else's eyes and understand their feelings, that's when you get a true connection. Wow, unbelievable. Lisa, I have about a minute and a half left. Well, they're, in my ear, they're telling me two minutes. I actually have more than a minute and a half. Okay. So, two things from you. Number one, how can we get your book, The Unspoken Truth? And number two, what would you like to leave us with? Okay, well, first of all, you can get my book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. You can also go to my website, lisazarcone.net, and I always tell people go there because my blog page has a lot of great information. And what I would like to leave with people today is, first of all, two things. Um, first of all, if you see something that's not right, ask the questions. Because if you ask the questions and the good news is nothing is happening, then that's awesome. But if you ask the questions and there's other things going on, you may have just saved a life. And I tell people that do not be afraid to ask the questions. And I also want to say to everybody, embrace the journey because you never know what life is going to give you, and you have to take it, and you have to take the good and the bad, and you have to move forward with it. And you live your life, and you keep your faith, and you find goodness in every day. Amazing. Lisa, you are an amazing person. And one day when you're in Detroit, or if I'm in Massachusetts, um, we are going to go out for coffee, because I would like to meet you in person. I thank you. I would love to meet you in person. <laughs> there we have it. So you let me know when you're on a speaking engagement in Detroit, or if I'm in Massachusetts. You might be here yes. faster than me there. Thank you so much for sharing. 
It was greatly appreciated. Again, you got to read this book, The Unspoken Truth. Lisa, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and we'll be in touch. You too. Thank you so much. Wow, what a story. And already my music is coming, and hopefully we'll be joined by Rabbi Yonison Goldson after the break. You are listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's the horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Joined by Rabbi Yonason Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Yonason, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you, Ripsy? Good. Well, the summer is ending, getting ready for the school season to start. But we need a message from Rabbi Yonason Goldson. So, as always, the clock is ticking. So, go for it. Okay. Last week, the town of Derry, New Hampshire, was all abuzz. A time capsule that had been stored in the local library for 50 years was about to be opened. The library director, surrounded by town officials and local historians, turned the combination lock to open the capsule and revealed what was waiting inside. Nothing. The capsule was empty. In this week's Torah portion, Moses instructs the Jewish people, See, I have set before you a blessing and a curse. What does he mean, see? What are the Jews supposed to look at? Moses is telling them, that two paths lie before them. The path of righteousness will lead them to a life of fulfillment and happiness. The path of self-indulgence will lead them to emptiness and oblivion. We can actually see the consequences of our actions every step along our way. Self-indulgence makes us tingle with momentary pleasure, then leaves us more dissatisfied than we were before. Moral self-discipline challenges us, but leaves us with an enduring glow of self-respect and self-confidence that stays with us and leads us towards bigger and better accomplishments. So, 
what do we want to find at the end of our lives? An empty box or a treasury filled with spiritual riches? The choice is right before our eyes. And with that, I wish you a very good Shabbos. Yadison, thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Have a great Shabbos. Okay. Oh, it's always good to have Rabbi Goldson back. He always has great stuff to say. I, I did read that they opened up that thing in Derry, but I didn't read the whole story. I did not realize it was empty when they opened it up. I guess I have to read the whole story next time. Okay, as we're moving along, we are ready for our next letter in the Jewish alphabet. So hopefully it's right up behind me, and it is. And that is the letter Samach. The letter Samach is a circle. And it makes an S sound. This morning I woke up and said, well, if it makes an S sound and it's a circle, um, then how come in English it begins with a C? I have no idea. Not really such an important question. Um, but what is important is that the numerical value of this circle, this samuch, um, is 60. Also begins with an S. That's interesting. And uh, this week I decided instead of a, a word, I wanted a phrase. Now, the truth is it's not a Hebrew phrase per se. It's more Yiddish. But it's a pretty common um, known phrase, and that is siyata deshmaya. Siyata deshmaya means with help from heaven. Meaning that whatever we do, and we've talked, we've talked all about uh, different things. You meant five minutes, not ten minutes. That's okay, no problem. That's either talking in my ear, and then they get it wrong, and then I get confused. But I'm good, no problem. I got my clock. Anyways, siyata deshmaya means with help from heaven. Everything we do in this life, in our life, we need help from heaven. Sometimes heaven is helping more, sometimes less. Why? Unfortunately, we never know the answer to that. That We have to wait uh, till our life is over to find out why some people suffer and some people don't, and some people had more help and some people had less help. You know, that's the famous story where uh, there's a person looking back at his life and he sees footprints. It's just such a great parable. He sees footprints and there's always two footprints, and then he sees in certain areas only one footprint or one set of footprints. And he realizes that there's only one set of footprints whenever life was at its most challenging. So the man, lady, person says to God, um, how come when life was tough, you seem to have disappeared? There's only one set of footprints when my life was hard. He says, no, no, God says. When there's one set of footprints, I was carrying you. So why we need challenges, no one can answer why we need challenges. But uh, but to know that God is always there helping us, that certainly makes it easier to go ahead and move on with life. Um, uh, it's almost like we're going to put this in brackets. You know, at the beginning of the show, we talked about Elijah the prophet, and the and he was talking to Achav. I didn't get to finish it, so I'm going to take a minute to finish it, and then I'm going to get wrap up the show. So Elijah tells this king Achav. He says, uh, you go get your 400 idol worshipers. We're going to meet on Mar Mount Carmel, big mountain in Israel, and we're going to have the final showdown. But the showdown wasn't uh, with bow and arrows or guns. The showdown was with two private altars. Even though we said that a private altar is off limits once the temple has been built, but here was an example of an exception to the rule. So the prophet is, doesn't get a death penalty for a one-time exception. He gets a death penalty for changing your rule permanently. 
And the, the deal was each one made an altar, each one could sacrifice, and they do everything they wanted except light an actual fire. So those 400 guys are busy dancing around and screaming, and no fire comes to consume their sacrifice. Elijah, late in the afternoon, says, now it's my turn, and he does his prayer. Fire comes out from heaven, consumes his um, his sacrifice. And at least at that point, the Jewish people understood that they had to get off the fence and they had to recognize that there's God and there's no idol worship. So with my minute or so left, uh, talk about weddings. So I saw a beautiful story talking about weddings. And the story is with a Skelena Rebbe. So he was dancing at this person's wedding. And afterwards, the Skelena Rebbe is having a conversation with somebody, and he says to him, like, what's the big deal? I mean, a wedding is nice. We're just dressed up. We're suits. We're gowns. We're clothes. We're pretty and hair and makeup. But, you know, bar mitzvah is also a nice celebration, and a circumcision is also a nice celebration. There's a lot of celebrations. Why, by a wedding, do we make such a big deal? So he gave the following parable. He says, imagine you add half the code to a Swiss bank account. You had half the numbers. I have no idea how many numbers go into a Swiss bank account. And if I knew, I couldn't tell you. Um, so you have half the numbers. So there's a vault waiting for you, and you don't got the money. And one day you run into the person who has the other half. So it's not just a half and a half. You now have the combination. You now get the treasure. And that, my friends, is what marriage is really all about. A husband and wife, the goal, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago with my guest, um, uh, Mr. Talenfeld, I believe his name was. The goal of marriage is that two people that are, you know, passing through the night and they get together and they enjoy each other's company, it's not two halves. Marriage is a whole. You have the whole combination to the vault. You have the whole combination to an amazing life. That's what marriage is supposed to be about and is a blessing to my son. Hopefully he'll figure that out, he and his bride-to-be, wonderful girl. That's what it's about. You are creating a relationship, and here comes the music. So, thank you to our wonderful sponsors. You know I couldn't do it without you, and our list, of course. And to our wonderful production team. I have no idea how many people are back there. I think people snuck in. We got Kelsey, Cole, Steve, Angel, Zach. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.